Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 57, Hanging Plot Threads. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And we are so delighted to be joined by our friend Sally. She is one of the people who blogs over at the Unaligned blog, which is at weareunaligned.com. And she's also on Twitter at sheaven. And we're just so happy to have you here, Sally. I'm so glad you could join us kind of last minute. I am so happy to join you. There are no dolls that I would rather have drinks with than you three. (laughs) Sally likes puns. (laughs) (laughs) Took me a minute to get, as usual. (laughs) So this week we are talking about, we're going to call them hanging plot threads. Basically, we're, we're talking about these little pieces of plotline on Lost Girl that were left kind of open, that haven't really been concluded yet, or we, it, we just feel like they really need an answer. And so we got a lot of people who submitted their hanging plot threads that they really want to see answered. So thank you to everybody who sent in their feedback. And the place we have to start, because... This is just everybody's, this is like the most frequently asked question I see on Twitter is regarding the favor that Kenzie owes the Morrigan. And I believe that we asked Emily Andrus about this back in December. And we did. She she acknowledged that it was on a list that the writers have. So if if people don't remember, this happened in Table for Faye back in season two, where Ryan thinking he's being helpful hooks Nate up with the Morrigan to try to make his music career take off. And Kenzie, of course, does not want that because she knows what the Morrigan really is. And so Kenzie gets her, gets the Morrigan to leave Nate and Nate alone in exchange for a favor at some later date. And apparently, Sally, your your spouse was thought that this had already been tied up. She mentioned last night that she thought that, that they had already had that conversation and the Morrigan had called in the favor. And I told her I thought that was a major plot point in a fan fiction she may have read. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that it has not yet happened on the show. She had had some wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it has not been tied up. And I feel like now, season five, might be a good time for it to reemerge since the Morgan is now human. Yes. Now would be a good time to call in favors. Because she needs all the help she can get. And maybe all the Lauren she can get, but... But where is Kenzie? Where is she? So the Morgan's going to have a tough time calling in that favor. It's true. So Kenzie has to come back for this favor to be called in. So it probably wouldn't happen immediately in season five. But all the more reason for the Morgan possibly to help in the quest for Kenzie. Boom. <laughs> but I wonder, though, because I feel like... The, you know, the Morrigan, she hates Bo, right? She hates her. So I feel like she would be more likely to use that favor against Bo. That's true. I think the Morrigan doesn't like Bo at all. And if she still had her powers, maybe she'd be trying to take out Bo through this favor. But, you know, I think she, her priority now is probably getting her powers back, eh? Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think the... I think the Morrigan loves herself more than she hates Bo. It's true. So. Yeah. It's true. I'm just kind of curious how she might use this favor that she has, with, you know, this this unclaimed favor she has with Kenzie in order to become human again. Because, I don't know, I, I think it's a it's a good time to 
to use it and and to use it particularly for that problem that the Morgan currently has, but I'm still kind of struggling to figure out how that might happen. Not to say that it won't. I'm just trying to like think of possibilities. Well, I love that the Morgan, it still is implied that she's, even without her powers, she's very savvy and is a survivalist, so she'll find any way to make it happen. Or she could even use it as a threat over and say, I promise Kenzie, you know, Kenzie owes me something, but I'll take that off the table if, right. uh, if you get Lauren to refame me. If you get Lauren to refame me, or I'll, I'll take away myself as a threat for now. And the method of returning her fey powers to her, maybe the Morgan gets to specify. <laughs> of course, Bo wouldn't thinking. really be happy about that either. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, there could be some sort of like favor transfer or something. Yeah. Who knows? So then another hanging plot thread that several people brought up was Luann Heidegger who was the midwife that we met in Vexed. She was the midwife at Bo's birth. And in that episode, she was supposed to be executed for crimes Vex made her commit. And we see at the end that Trick, using his blood, managed to save her from execution. And then we don't see her again. I don't know. Sometimes I don't always think about this plot thread. I'm only reminded of it when I watched Vex all the way through with not just the sex scene, but (laughs) the documentary sex scene. Let me... let me make sure I make clear which sex scene it is. But Everybody knows, Annie. <laughs> okay, everybody knows. I just thought I'd put that in there. But it, it kind of surprises me. One thing I do like about Lost Girl is continuity they have. Like bringing Cassie back from season one, and they brought her back in season four, you know, as the Oracle. Sometimes Lost Girl kind of surprises me bringing back characters. Because sometimes I kind of forget, going, well, what about Luann? But since we're still on the origin, since we still are... Wanting to know the origins of, you know, Bo's birth slash who her father is and everything. I could see that being brought back. And see, I feel the, I feel the opposite. I feel like I don't know that she's necessarily relevant. Yeah, that's what I was initially saying. I don't know if all these plot threads will be resolved because if they'll all be relevant. Because really, I think Bo was after Luann to try to figure out who her, particularly her mother was, but her parents were in general. And she knows that now. She's met Aoife. She knows that Pyrrhus is apparently her father now. So I don't I just don't know if if Luann is necessarily still relevant. What do you think, Kristen and Sally? I think you're probably right. It's one of those things I it depends on which way they're going to play it because I think she could be relevant because now we have a sense of Pyrrhus of course, but he's not here. So there are still potentially answers to be sought, but I don't know. It just depends on which way they're going to play season five i feel like well or it could just be brought up as her being mentioned in the script you know as opposed to having the actor come back or the character come back i kind of wonder what luann's role would be if she came back Mm -hmm. because it seems like she could describe what Bo's birth was like we don't know if therapist was attending the birth or if it was just Eva. like Eva definitely had to be there but therapist did not ne- necessarily have to be there. So when Bo was fold, you know, like, <laughs> what happened? Luann could describe that. It's kind of icky. It's like, is it like a centaur-like thing or horse and human procreation? Maybe she could explain that, but we'll see. Did she have, like, hooves when she was born that <laughs> fell off and became <laughs> hands and feet? Yeah, I could just see Dyson and Lauren. I've been doing it with a horse? <laughs> oh, Annie. As for whether or not... Pyrrhus was there for her birth. If we're to gather that the scene from the dawning was accurate, 
or mm. remotely accurate, then it would indicate that he was there, right? Because he was holding her as a baby. Yeah. I mean, also, wasn't it that Bo got taken away pretty young? So Yeah, that's yep. why I'm not entirely sure I trust the scene in The Dawning, because, I mean, maybe they're rewriting a little bit, but in the first season, if it's your midwife who's running away with you, it would have to happen pretty soon after you're born. Usually your midwife doesn't exactly just stick around super long. Right. So. Again, I'm just speculating based on the few things that we've seen. Right, right. And I, I'm well aware and am acknowledging that all that might not be true, the dawning stuff. Do you think if Bo ever became born again, that she would say, curses, fold again? <laughs> that is so random, I cannot respond. <laughs> And so another hanging plot thread that several people brought up was about the first Ash, or Batman Ash, as he is sometimes called, because I believe it was Emily Andrus who referred to him having a voice like Batman. We see him at the end of the first season in Bloodlines when Aoife blows up the room and he's injured and supposedly in a coma. And then we hear at the beginning of season two, he's still alive, but not injured. He's, he's in critical condition, it sounds like. But we don't really know whatever happened to him. Did he die? Is he still in a coma somewhere? I maintain that he is in a coma in a pod wearing green eyeshadow. <laughs> <laughs> and a lovely dress. There was a lot of speculation that maybe he was the Walbush in Lauren's apartment. I think that he's not. I don't know if that was, uh, you know, like contradicted by someone or if it was just uh, came out that Lauren is growing all these herbs for, you know, use in her medicine. But... He could come back. Like, is there an Ash now? Well, Trick is acting Ash, but there's not a permanent Ash, I believe. I hadn't heard that fan wank about the Ash being the Walbush until Comet Palooza last year. It was actually Chris Holden Reed brought it up that he heard, you know, he heard from somewhere that fans were wondering if, if maybe the, the former Ash was in the wall. Like he was maybe a fae who was really associated with plants. And mm -hmm. that was how they kind of put him in stasis when he was wounded, was he turned into plants and he's been on Lauren's wall all this time, which then makes her and and Bo having sex on her Shay's lounge a little weird. But <laughs> <laughs> added to the fact that all the doors were open. I was going to say, given the know, fact that all the doors are open, whatever. maybe they kind of like that there's this wall dude watching them. <laughs> They're just exhibitionists. No. Yeah. But, I, I, but yeah, we did get that since in season four where Massimo talks about, you know, there's this herb that's growing on Lauren's wall that perhaps it's just a big wall of herbs that she might use in various experiments and medicine. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it was, I don't know where I heard it or if it was in an interview that that was the ashes power that he had was, you know, with botany or with plants and that, yeah, the first time he, one of the first times he met Bo, he like choked her because he was able to draw all the plant matter out of the air and choke her with it or something. I don't know. I think that was like an early script thing or something that I read about one time. So I have not heard that. Are you sure that's not fan fiction? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I'll try and find it, but we'll see. I guess there is that scene in the, in the, in the first episode where the Morrigan is making a comment about how the, the ashes kind of a wimp and she breaks the bromeliad. Yeah. Maybe that's mm -hmm. partially why people are wondering if he might be plant related. Yeah. Well, they did. There was something I, I remember, something official where they were talking about how 
they don't really ever state it, but that was the intent, was that his power is plant-related. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. I don't know if this is necessarily a plot thread, but I thought it was a good point, so I wanted to add it that somebody mentioned, was Kenzie and her stepfather. We've heard tales of her stepfather and of his rather abusive raising of Kenzie, and we got to see her mother in season four and End of the Line, but we still have yet to see her stepfather. And so some a listener said that that was something they would love to see would be a confrontation, actually, between Kenzie and her stepfather. I'm still upset that Hale, like, paid him off. Yeah, no. not cool, Hale. Well, and that it was that's where his good intentions kind of blinded him. Like, can't you see or haven't you, you know, how could you not know? Well, that's the part that upsets me is because Kenzie isn't shy about talking about it. Yeah. I don't know how he wouldn't have known. In which case, uncool, Hale. Well, I mean, Kenzie mentions her stepfather, but this is also a plot though. Do we ever know who her father is or is he deceased or? It's Herapus. <laughs> They really just are everybody. I don't know that it's ever mentioned what Kenzie's biological father's fate was if he passed away, if his, if her parents got divorced. It's true. They've never mentioned. You know, I feel like Kenzie, at least in season four, kind of wrapped up the family thing when she, you know, bid her mother goodbye and like, we're done. So I guess I could see her stepfather coming back into the story if it was um, transformative for her to help her get over it. Yeah, that's my kind of where I'm at too. Not not that I think that that having her stepfather re-enter the story would be bad, but I do kind of feel like they wrapped up her family stuff with with end mm-hmm. of the line when we when we meet her mother. I agree. And then jumping, I guess, a little more recent in the storyline, we've had several people mention that they want to know why Tamsin was banished from Valhalla, and I kind of thought that there was a suggestion as to why she was in season four. But maybe people feel like it wasn't explained super clearly and they want more clarification. But I personally thought that it was established in season four that she was kicked out of Valhalla because she didn't take Rainer's soul. That's what I thought. That's Mm -hmm. what I thought, too. Because in Dark Horse, when she has Rainer's soul back, she's talking to Kinsey and she said, you know, I have a soul again. I can I can go back to Valhalla. And she does. She takes both Kinsey and, and Rainer's soul to Valhalla. It does seem like they address that sufficiently. We don't know if she delivered their souls to Valhalla, though, but... Well, it sounds to me like what that exchange she has with Dyson at the end, that maybe she went to Valhalla, but Kenzie's not there, or her soul has been lost somehow. That was the impression that I got. So, Or she got mugged on the way there. She was like... <laughs> Parapus came flying in and muggings. went, whap, 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 with his wings. I'm taking she was bit. lying in front of those gates that were barred, and she was looking kind of rough, I, right? Yeah, and that was kind of a rough-looking alley. See, this is the problem when you only use a soul wallet. You really need to get those soul <laughs> fanny packs that kind of strap onto your body yes! under your shirt. <laughs> what? Soul fanny pack. Brilliant. How the hell did we get onto soul fanny pack? But that's... Oh, like the security belt thing? Yes. It, yeah, there we go. We need a soul security belt so that there a mugger go. can't just come and... But yeah, so so I guess the four of us feel like that plot thread was answered why Tamsin was banished from Valhalla, but we could be wrong. You know, they could come back in season five and, and spell it out a little more clearly. But I, I think it sounds like the four of us feel like that's that's why she was banished was because she didn't take Rainer's soul. We are unanimous, so say we all. <laughs> Another plot thread from season three was Stella. We see at the end of the season, Trick and Stella go riding off to Scotland. And in the beginning of the fourth season, 
we learn that he and Stella have broken up and he's obviously back at the doll, but we don't hear why. And we don't hear Stella mentioned again in season four. And did they have a fight and did Trick go, Stella? Yes. That is exactly what happened. Of course. I totally see Rick Howland doing that. I don't know. I think, I don't know if it was uh, in the webisode or at one point Hale asked him what happened with Stella. He's like, don't ask or it's over or something to that effect. So it seemed to me to close that plot thread of just, you know, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Trick doesn't elaborate on it, but I don't know. Just in my opinion, it seems like... It's over, it's done with, so... And the dawning is done with, which was what her purpose was in the storyline, so I don't see her coming back. Yeah, I'm kind of of the same mind. I feel like it would be nice to know why they broke up. It's a little it's a little frustrating that it was just, I don't want to talk about it. But at the same time, Stella was there to help Bo through her dawning, and that's over with. So how she would exactly fit into the storylines and not be like a third wheel, something that's kind of useless. I'm not entirely sure. And that was actually her job too. She, um, her job was that she helped Faye with their prep for the dawning. Mm -hmm. So unless somebody needs to go through the dawning again, I don't know why she'd be back. Or maybe the dawning proctors took another look at Bo's cheating and decided that it wasn't acceptable and they're making her retake the test. And that's actually a great transition into another hanging plot thread that somebody brought up, and this is one that I'm very curious about, is are we going to see consequences of how Bo handled the dawning? Because the caretaker says, you know, this t- the temple can be vengeful when she's leaving with Dyson's body, and are there go- actually going to be consequences of that? Quite frankly, I don't know, because I, to this day, still don't understand the dawning. So I'm kind of like, eh, whatever, she got through it. But I don't know. I think she's got enough on her plate right now with Papaya Horse. So I don't know. I'm still wondering if the whole Pyrapus situation is a result of the dawning. Yeah, some people have speculated. Could you clarify a little more about what you mean by the whole Pyrapus situation? The fact that he showed up and, like, tried to come back to Earth and the whole thing with the Wanderer and just... All, all of those events that were set in motion, I'm wondering if that's what set them in motion. I don't know that they were, but right. it would be nice if they would clarify if that was what that was. Like a consequence of the dawning was the portal opening eventually at the end of season four and Pyrrhus going into well, the world. But the, the portal opening at the end of season four was the culmination of everything that had happened with the Wanderer. Or at least that's what we're led to believe. So I'm wondering if, you know, at the end of season three, it ends with Bo getting taken out of our plane of existence. And I'm wondering if that is all a result of or a consequence of cheating on the dawning. Well, the Wanderer caught up with Bo during the whole dawning process, but partly that had to do with Tamsin. I don't know. But you're right. We didn't see mention of the Wanderer until was the first mention in Phage Against the Machine with the cards? Or had we heard Tamsin make some sort of reference to the Wanderer before then? I don't recall. It seems like that might be the first. Yeah. And that was part of Bo's dawning prep was the activities, the quest that she had to go on in Phage Against the Machine. So I could see where people were would wonder if 
and and well, I should explain. I, I extrapolate further. And then the Wanderer, as storyline as we see, was all a lead into Pyrrhus manipulating the situation to try to break free from his side, from hell, from his side of 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 the world. So I could see where people might think that might be a consequence of Bo cheating in the Dawning was the fallout from from the Wanderer storyline. So this is making me think of a couple of questions. A, who hired Tamsin? Because at the end of season four, when she sees a picture of Rainer, she says, that's not the person who hired me. And by extension of that, who ordered Acacia's hand cut off? Because the way that Rainer's storyline ends is that he seems to be a decent man who got manipulated. And so I'm curious as to who was this entity that we, we've seen sort of the repercussions of his very evil actions in comparison to this man who seems to be fairly benign. So, yeah, I, I you had a, an idea, Chris, about agents maybe acting as the Wanderer, or what, what, what exactly were you saying? Yes, either it's agents acting as the Wanderer or on behalf of the Wanderer, or what I think the end of season four is leading me to think is that perhaps, or what has been alluded to on the show as the Wanderer, is maybe agents of Pyrrhus acting as the Wanderer. So, again, sort of to throw off the scent, if you will. Because Rainer couldn't exactly defend himself. He's stuck on a train. Exactly. And uh, I think there's uh, there's suggestion in the finale that he's been a patsy of the Pyrrhus and didn't even realize it. Hmm. Right. So, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying. The idea that these agents are going around saying, oh, we're agents of the Wanderer, like the Crows, for example. But really, their true allegiance is to Pyrrhus. Yeah, there you go. Makes sense to me. I guess season five will tell. This kind of transitions into talking about the hanging plot threads from season four, of which there are quite a few. And the biggest one that people asked about, that people mentioned, was Aoife. Because we see this this confrontation between Aoife and Trick in In Memoriam. And we see in the following episode... Trick wiping blood off of a picture of Bo, and we hear him talk to Dyson about it later, and and he says, you know, she was wounded by my hand or something to that effect. But we don't see her again. And I also wonder, by extension, does Bo know that Aoife is still alive? Because last Bo saw, she was dying. And we never see Dyson or Trick say, oh yeah, by the way. And I don't know that they would have, since there was this whole sketchy confrontation between Trick and Aoife that Trick pro- wouldn't want to tell Bo about. Well, didn't they? Didn't Bo and Trick also say in that conversation when Trick was telling Dyson about, uh, you know, he wounded Aoife or something, and then they say, well, Bo can't know yet again. Yes, exactly. Her mother's alive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So There's a lot of things that Bo must never know. Which always bites him in the ass. But, so. well, the thing is, though, Trick says Bo can't know... And to me, I thought he was he was saying she can't know that there was a confrontation between Trick and Aoife, not necessarily the trick that Aoife was alive, because both Kenzie and Dyson saw Aoife. Mm-hmm. So did, like, Kenzie tell Bo that her mother's still alive? Well, I hope Aoife will be back, because it seems like she has unfinished business, and people have unfinished business with her. Well, she's busy posing as a cop, so <laughs> over on Orphan Black, so... I also would really love, if there's going to be a confrontation with Pyrrhus in season five, I would love for Aoife to be a part of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She kind of has to be in order to 
get the catharsis from her decades and centuries of imprisonment. Exactly. Because she was a woman who was taken advantage of so horribly by Pyrrhus. I really would love for her to be part of bringing down this baddie if that is in fact Pyrrhus's fate, which it probably is. She should strike the killing blow. That would be great. I would love that. Justice. Get Pyrrhus and Trick and Aoife and Bo all in there. And then they can finally all have their family catharsis and figure out what happened and who's who and where did I come from? And then Pyrrhus can bite it and then they can all go on. And Pyrrhus can first win the triple crown because we haven't had a triple crown winner in many, many, many years. Many years, yeah. He's got wings. He can do it. <laughs> and then, of course, a a lovely underwear-clad hanging plot thread that Chris and I would love to see wrapped up <laughs> is Crystal. What happened to Crystal? I have to know. Leaves! Well, yeah, the last we saw of Crystal, Lauren was bargaining for her safety, release, and freedom. It was either explicitly stated or implied. So maybe she's on a farm somewhere in Ontario. With her horse, Duke. That's right. Who is actually Pyrrhus undercover. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. So Crystal calls a large animal vet to come out to her farm. He's just been acting so strange lately. (laughs) And then... No large animal vet is available, but the local fae law enforcement get wind of it, and they bring Lauren in. Lauren is abducted by Pyrrhus. Bo has to come save her. No, I don't want Lauren to be abducted and a victim again. Maybe she frees herself. I was going to say, (laughs) Lauren saves herself. Lauren's just going to jab the Pyrrhus with some kind of needle and defay him, and his wings will fall off. But yeah, Crystal, because we also had maybe a hint that she might have been exploited by the Morrigan. Because she has that whole conversation with Lauren about being the best singer in a small town means nothing in the big city. I'm curious who exactly, how she was recruited, what happened to her afterward. I just, I, I need to know what happened to Crystal. Plus, I love Allie Liebert and I want her to come back. Same. Me too. Liebs. <laughs> just no hot pantsless sex. But yeah. Why not? Why yes. not? Yes, hot pantsless sex. <laughs> Makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Because now the Docubus is back together, which is friends. There's no saying that Bo can't be added into the mix, all I'm saying. Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's a show about a succubus. The more the merrier. Exactly. Well, this actually brings up, it leads into another point that was on the list of dangling plot threads. I still am not sure who abducted Lauren. Was it the Morrigan working alone? Was it Trick working with the Morrigan? Was it Trick alone and then later handed Lauren over to the Morgan or they came up with a plan together? I know there's a big question around this because a lot of people feel like it was Rick Howland's voice that we were hearing over that speaker. Mm-hmm. Including you. Including yeah. me. I, I agree. But I don't know that we have good evidence to suggest that he was supposed to have been Trick. He might have just been available to do voice acting and so he did the voice acting yeah i i wondered for a time if the morgan and trick maybe would have worked together but we really didn't get any other sense that it was anybody but the morgan so i'm kind i kind of i kind of just sort of moved on from that but do you remember at the very end in um in the final episode when the morgan who is now human you know kind of comes up to deal with massimo and then Bo like threatens her and like threatens Massimo that she's going to kill his mom. And the Morgan is like, this was not the plan or this was not the agreement. So who did she come up with the plan with? Was it trick 
trick. Yeah, uh, okay. Earlier, so maybe she had tricked that him episode. The idea was that she was trick was going to go to the portal. She was going to go help deal with Massimo. And what her her suggestion was that I did not plan to have have a knife to my throat. And you know, I thought I was just going to come and deal with my idiot son. But she and Trick have been, you know, they were plotting in that episode. Maybe they've been plotting together all season. There was some implication, I believe, that they were working together against the Unamens earlier in the season. I thought. The Morrigan does say something like, the Unamens cramp my style, so, you know, I'm going to suspend. We do see them plotting in Origin when Lauren is spying in the warehouse. So it's possible. I think it was it was also implied that they were plotting, though, in episode five, um, Let the Dark Times Roll. Or it was implied that the Morgan, anyway, was not going to stick so strictly to Dark Fae rules of engagement because she wanted the Unamens out of town and out of her hair. So moving on to Destiny's Child, the Leviathan makes this comment about how she's going to see Bo soon because somebody she loves is going to die. And, of course, throughout season four, two people that Bo cares about do die. So I guess the question is, will we see Bo, in fact, go back to Urkala, Urkala in season five? Maybe that's why... Kenzie wasn't in Valhalla. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think it would be cool to see Bo. She's going to check out all the angles. Okay, if she's not in Valhalla, she'll go and see the Leviathan again. So, I don't know. The way she phrased it, you know, is too much of a hanging plot thread, I think, not to be brought back in Season 5. Because Bo goes who, and then she gets sent up. Then not one, but two significant characters die. I'd like to see them confront each other again, whether it's with riddles or whatever. Or what kind of sacrifice, if any, Bo has to make for Kenzie? The question that comes up for me, though, is if Kenzie is in Urkala, why did she end up there? Well, we don't know because Tamsin says she's not in Valhalla. So something is afoot. I think maybe Pierre possessed something to do with it because he can use that as a bargaining chip. If he has Kenzie's soul, he knows he can bring Bo to him and bring about the end of the world. I don't know. In the confrontation that Bo has with the Leviathan. The Leviathan sees Bo's, you know, hand hickey, as she says, and, and says, you know, where did you get that mark? That mark was supposed to be mine. And now that there is this insinuation that it's Pyrrhus's mark, I'm wondering if the Leviathan would have found a way to, found a way to maybe get Kenzie's soul in order to bargain her way into taking her place with with Pyrrhus in the underworld or something like that. So I, I will I do wonder if mm. the whole suggestion that she wanted Pyrrhus's mark might play into into that. Maybe the Sounds Leviathan fun. mugged Tamson. <laughs> <laughs> I could see her doing it. Yes. Whack her over the head with that stick. Yep. And then from Waves, where we're we're seeing the flashbacks of Bo on the train, we see Bo finds this butterfly in a little glass bell jar. And when Bo touches the butterfly, it comes to life, and Rainer makes some sort of vague remark about, it's really you, or something like that. And then they kiss, and we're all confused. And <laughs> For the rest of the season. There's a flashback within that flashback of Bo is a little girl with a butterfly. And in the ceremony, I believe, Bo's mother did mention that this time when she was a little girl, and she found a dead butterfly, and she was so upset. And so we have this question is, was that actually the same butterfly from Bo's childhood? And if so, how did it get on the train? <laughs> Wasn't that in There's Bo Place Like Home? Oh, sorry. You're correct. That's in There's Bo Place Like Home. I meant to say that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
I know we had brought it up initially when we talked about the episode, whether or not that was the same butterfly. I don't know if, when I thought about it, I'm like, well, I don't know if I'd necessarily think about that, but I thought, the more I thought about that scene, it implied of how Rainer says, it's you, and Bo brings this dead butterfly back from life, just how Bo, it highlights yet again how Bo has this power of bringing, being able to bring beings back from the dead, like she did with Dyson after the dawning, and does it with this butterfly. I don't know if it's just more implications about her powers or what she may or may not get from her father. I don't know. So, Yeah, I mean, that is the implication, because there was the whole line about, only I can decide who lives and who, who dies, dies, like yeah. my father, and right, isn't that? Yeah, yeah we will rule together, that was in the ceremony. side by side. Or And I guess as for whether it was the same butterfly, I don't know, it was under a bell jar, which to me implies stasis, kind of Star Trek style, mm-hmm. but that would be a really super old butterfly, mm-hmm. <laughs> but magic exists. So that's cool. But I I kind of thought the butterfly was there on the train to manipulate Bo or to make her think that it was fated that she was supposed to meet Rainer and that he would be her destiny. So, you know, whether it was the same butterfly or just one that looked very similar, at first I was suspicious that it was Rainer who engineered having a butterfly that Bo could sort of bring back to life and then she would be, you know, enthralled were entranced, but it seems more likely that it was either Pirapus or an agent of the Pirapus who made it so there would be a butterfly there that would remind Bo and then get her to be motivated to bond or join or hand fast with Rainer so then Pirapus could come out of the portal. I think it's a legitimate question as to whether it was the same butterfly from Bo's childhood, but at the same time, I don't know that it necessarily matters because I'm with you, Sally. I feel like that whole situation was there too manipulate Bo in some way. I kind of wonder if it's, yeah, it's it's meant to manipulate Bo, and I think it's also meant to manipulate Rainer, since it seems like Rainer had been told that whoever would be able to do that would be able to get him off the train, and anyway. And of course, since the, the train itself was going between planes, it really doesn't matter how old the butterfly is, does it? Because... Time has no Time meaning there, maybe. Time passes more slowly or more quickly or something. I don't know. <laughs> differently. <laughs> we'll go with differently. Oh, and the butterfly in church died anyway, right? So it yeah. could have just been a butterfly corpse that was on the train until Bo boarded. Right. And then in Turn to Stone, we have where Lauren is confessing her past to Crystal and she mentions that she had a brother, and this was how she kind of got involved into eco-terrorism and a failed demonstration led to people dying and her being wanted by Interpol. And Crystal asks her, you know, where is he now? And Lauren doesn't really answer. And so I think a lot of people have this question of, will we see Lauren's brother at some point? Yeah, a lot of people want to know. And my question about that whole plot line, because it brings up, you know, how Lauren made pipe bombs and is wanted for eco-terrorism and the Karen Beatty aspect and brings more, rounds out that plot line more. But to me, it always brings up the question of when is Lauren's past life in the human world going to catch up with her and become entangled with what she is in the Fey world? What if she gets caught and gets thrown in the clink because she's an eco-terrorist, technically? And when is she going to find out? And will her brother find out and track her down somehow? And then they... You know, what if he finds out about the Fae or so? I actually kind of wonder if maybe her brother is in jail. Mm. Mm. 
that would explain for them why he hasn't been looking for her since she's been theoretically off the grid for the past five years. I think we kind of have to see Lauren's brother, or at least more about Lauren's past in season five. It's sort of as an extension from that, I think we all are wondering, is Lauren ever going to tell Bo about her past? Because there was that whole, oh, we have a lot of things to talk about, but instead we're just going to make out. As Henny goes, Gah! There's so many things that Lauren and Bo need to talk about going to Taft's, her history as, uh, you know, being on the run and her, her her real identity being Karen Beattie and all of this stuff. And are we ever going to get to that? Or is it, it's probably they are, but not until there's some very immediate situation that they have to deal with. So maybe we will see Lauren's past catch up with her. And that's going to be when finally Lauren's going to tell Bo about what she did. It's season 363. And something we saw twice in season four, but then was kind of dropped, was we saw in the flashbacks in Of All the Gin Joints that Bo sees once she gets the little box with Ianka's voice in it. And then in the non-flashback in Destiny's Child, where we see Rainer on the train, we see this crown and it has Isabeau inscribed on the inside, which implies that, you know, Rainer was looking for a queen. But that doesn't come into play again once he and Bo actually are together. And I'm curious about whether we're going to see that crown again and what its significance was. Well, yeah, I mean, you know how Dyson swears his fealty to the queen. And there's so many references to Bo being the one and being special. But yeah, I was like, where'd the crown go? It just kind of is on the train and does it have some kind of mystical power? Does it link Bo to the Pyrrhus somehow or... You know, you know how objects seem to have a lot of power or significance in fantasy type genres or or in realms. And I think, yeah, who knows? It could be like uh, we don't want Bo to put on this crown because then she'll go all blue eyed again. So I wondered at the time if it was actually a crown that he had made for Bo, or if it was maybe her grandmother's crown. Mm-hmm that had somehow been transported to the train <laughs> and engineered, you know, there to sort of like manipulate Bo again into thinking that he was her destiny. Was that ever answered definitively? No. Because no. And, and what we see of the flashback in of all the gin joints, she picks up the crown and she looks at it and then she hits it away from her. And she's all, you know, I can't do this. And... And yeah, for me, and I've mentioned this before, the, the flashbacks in that we get in of all the gin joints really were never well answered for me. Like what we see in there is very different from what we see in the flashbacks of Waves. That's true. So I'm I'm still very curious about the crown in particular, just because we saw it was there on the train in Destiny's Child, where Bo finally comes and confronts Raynor, but then he doesn't seem to bring it off the train with him. We don't see it again. Didn't you guys think that was an ugly crown for some reason? Oh, it's it's hideous. <laughs> See, and yet you guys get on me for the ugly Hellscore shoes. And you know what? I had a thought of, oh my god, we're going to have to see those freaking ugly burlap Hellscore shoes again since Tamsin men- mentions them at the end of season four. Oh god, we're going to have to deal with them in season five. I mean, can't they get an upgrade? So that's my... That's my downer about season five. We got to deal with the ugly Hellscore shoes again. Okay, but Annie, they're Hell shoes. This is a regal crown. I'm just going to say that, like everything on and about the train, it's symbolic. Okay, it's really there for the the metaphor. 
I never met a four I didn't like. <laughs> Maybe it was a very bright silver crown at one point, but has become tarnished. It, it looks like it's just sort of made out of a hunk of, of a metal trash can that you see in parks. Well, he's a welder, so maybe he, uh, you know, took part of the train that was falling apart and made a crown. Well, as long as we're talking about fashion, I must interject <laughs> that something I am eager to see addressed or wrapped up in season five is now that Massimo is dead, where are all of his clothes especially his shirts who gets them where does he shop how can i obtain a few of my favorite pieces <laughs> hanging plot threads get it ha -ha. threads and clothes ha -ha -ha. <laughs> who is the next character that will have those ugly shirts bestowed upon them well i just think that his wardrobe has given us all a lot of material for discussion <laughs> god <laughs> now jumping back to the to the hell shoes though I, I, it was very much implied in Dark Horse that they will become important in season five. Tanzan makes that warning about we can't let Bo get the hell shoes. And I've always wondered who the hell shoes are actually meant for because Bo just automatically assumes they're meant for her. But I feel like they're probably meant for somebody else, especially with Tamsin's warning coming at the heels of, of season four. Wouldn't they be meant for Bo? I mean, what is, what is the mythology around the hell shoes that Flora couldn't handle them because they were too powerful or something. I think the mythology that I remember from the show anyway was that a true hero would put them on mm -hmm. and then it lets them walk to Valhalla mm -hmm. and walk between the worlds. And then at the end of season four, when Dyson rescues Tamsin after her mugging, and she's just <laughs> like, you can't let Bo get those shoes. Well, maybe, it, see, my theory with that is that maybe it's kind of a, it's, again, Bo having too much power, and we see how that can kind of not go so well, because she'll just go Blue Nova. That that was my theory, that if she gets it, it'll be too much for her, and she won't be able to control it. But maybe Parapus wants her to put on the shoes, because then she'll join him, and they can rule forever and destroy the world. It's possible, but I also think Bo is the protagonist of the show, and so even though she had her ups and downs in season four, that I think she'll she'll be the hero. She's pretty cool. No, I'm just saying she could put on the shoes, but there could be consequences. But she'll overcome mm. them. Yeah. Yeah, in Norse mythology, Hellscore, there, I don't think there was just the one pair, but they were put on the dead so that they could go to Valhalla. Mm. And, and so I can't remember exactly the mythology that we get on the show. I believe all we really hear is Flora making a comment about how they don't, you know... C'est ridiculous. They do not exist. And, <laughs> and then when she puts them on, you know, they're not meant for me. And she goes all crazy and grows Wolverine. little Wolverine claws. So Talons. I, yeah. So I don't remember if they ever really say what the shoes are for. But that is from, from Norse mythology. What they were meant for was to be able to go to Valhalla. But they, they do play with mythology on the show. But the implication being that Bo can't use the hell shoes to get to Valhalla to try to save Kenzie, I guess. Or that Tamsin thinks that she shouldn't. Maybe there's a booby trap. Who wouldn't like to be trapped in those <laughs> boobies? <laughs> and then I have a small list. I think all but one of these were brought up by Andre, who, who wrote us a very nice long list of, of dangling plot threads. And these are all, as I dub them, former baddies who did not die. And Andre's kind of wondering if we'll ever see them make mischief again. The first being Baba Yaga from Mirror Mirror in season two. 
The second being Caden from Brother Fay of the Wolves, also in season two. He escapes. He's like wounded and he escapes, but he, we don't see him die. And then from season four, we see Cleo, where she gets cheese-sucked by Bo and left by the side of the road. <laughs> Just drops in the middle of the road. <laughs> but we don't see her again in season four. So is she going to pop back up and cause trouble? There wasn't a lot of traffic, so it seems unlikely that she got run over. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very remote road. I just felt really bad for Mia Kirshner. <laughs> and then, you know, we also have, I don't know that he'll come back because he seems to have a stick to his little warehouse, but, you know, George Takei's character, he's stabbed with a tail, and he, but he doesn't die. But I don't know that he necessarily would come after them, in my opinion. I'm not sure what role either of those characters would have in season five, because it seemed like they were there for specific reasons in season four. Mm -hmm. It would be fun to see them again, but it would also be fun to have more and new guest stars. I could see Cleo being reintroduced into the story just because she is for hire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't really see them bringing George Takei's character back at all, especially since he was probably an expensive guest star. Yeah. But Cleo, I think, could could they could feasibly have her re-enter the story in some way and have it be useful and meaningful and not just, you know, oh, let's bring Mia Kirshner back. So mm -hmm. I don't know that they will, but I think they could if they wanted to. So thank you for, for Sally for being our last minute guest. I literally contacted her a couple of days ago. I was like, do you want to join us? It's fun when you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for inviting me. I always have a great time. And you can check out Sally. She's one of the people who blogs over at the Unaligned blog, which is weareunaligned.com. And you can follow her on Twitter. She's very funny. At S Heaven. Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> she will no longer be funny after today. But let us know if there are any hanging plot threads that we didn't talk about that you're really eager to see addressed in season five or some future season. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can go and leave those thoughts on in the show notes for this episode. Leave a comment over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 57. You can also send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or you can leave us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab at the right hand side of the website. I want to say thank you to people who have left us reviews on iTunes. Thank you for doing that. We really appreciate it. And I also wanted to mention, if you are a Stitcher user, we would love to get reviews over there. You can do that by going to drinksatthedoll.com slash Stitcher and leaving us a review on our, on our page on Stitcher. I also wanted to remind people that we are in the process of switching where our feed is hosted for the podcast. So if you experience any sort of technical glitch where the episodes aren't downloading properly into your podcatcher, such as Pocket Casts or Beyond Pod or something like that, I would recommend you go and resubscribe to the podcast. You can do that at drinksatthedoll.com slash subscribe. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. I still don't get any of Sally's puns. My name is Annie. I'm glad Sally was here today. <laughs> and my name is Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.